You're listening to Trademarks Made Easy. Trademarks Made Easy is the podcast focused on helping brand owners in the e-commerce space. With your host, Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. But don't worry, you won't find too much legalese here. Well, hey there, and welcome back. I'm your host, Susie Hickson, also known as the private label lawyer. As a trademark lawyer and brand name creation strategist with specific experience in the private label world, my goal is to help you navigate the online space by properly creating and protecting your trademarks. So today I'm talking about a few trademarks that I absolutely love and why. They're Arcteryx, Shred, and Never Summer. I don't know about you, but I am already dreaming of winter and skiing. I am so ready. Bring it on. I love these three outdoor brands. And remember that a brand name is that anchor or the tether from the products to the brands themselves. Not only are these trademarks unique and impressionable, but they also make their customers, including me, smile. I love brand names that elicit an emotional response in consumers. And as consumers of all three of these brands, they've certainly elicited an emotional response in me and my family. And I'm gonna be going back to these brands time and again, either for myself or as gifts. So enjoy today's episode and I will see you on the other side. Hey, everybody. I hope everyone's doing well. It's time for some trademark trailblazers or trailblazing trademarks, <laughs> however we want to say it. But I want to say thank you so much for whoever's on here and joining me. I have a few questions to answer, and I have three totally awesome trademarks that I want to talk about today and a couple of trademark fails. So if you or someone you know has a what I would think is a trailblazing trademark, an awesome trademark, um, feel free to let me know. Just shoot me an email and I'd love to talk about them and feature them. So the last time I did this, I talked about Somersault, which is a really cool trademark and brand. They're doing some really cool things. And then I also talked about Strawsome. So today, I'm going to talk a little bit about a few outdoor-related trademarks that I have come across that I really love. And the first one is Arcteryx. And Arcteryx is primarily an outdoor brand. They've evolved a little bit into not just hardcore outdoor people, but they offer a lot of different goods. And their name and their logo, Arcteryx, refers to the Archaeopteryx. And I'm probably completely slaughtering that. But it's one of the earliest known birds. And the logo was actually designed by Principal Jeremy Gard. And it's based on the Berlin specimen, which is the fossil of the bird. And it's one of the most complete skeletons found to date. 
of that particular fossil, which is, I think, really cool. They originally started out with the name Rock Solid. I think that's okay. I don't love that as a trademark. I think it's a little weak. And then they ultimately changed the name to the Arcteryx, which this was in 1991, and the word Arcteryx reflects their vision of creating disruptive, quote-unquote, evolutionary innovation within the outdoor products industry. And I think that that's really cool that they kind of took that evolutionary language to apply to their brand. So Arcteryx, I'd love to give a big shout out to them. Just a little bit more information about this brand. They, the Archaeopteryx, which is the fossil, right? was this creature that allegedly sort of struggled to escape the hostile horizontal world. And it actually became like this lean and magnificent climber. And according to their website, it says, driven by success in the gears of evolution, it developed the feather. And down climbing became a thing of the past, which is not something climbers really love to do, having to down climb. They state that, name the Archaeopteryx lithographica, the link between dinosaurs and their avian successors. Arcteryx's name represents the idea of accelerating evolution, helping to drive human progression in the outdoors. We believe there's always a better way. And I think that that's just some beautiful branding and a beautiful trademark created by this company, as well as their logo. Their, like I said, their brand, I feel like has kind of expanded beyond just that hardcore climbing community. And I believe they have a store <laughs> in Soho now, which I find really interesting. I actually know it's there. Well, I saw it a couple of years ago. I don't know if it's still there. I'm sure the real estate price there is out of control. Now, the other brand name that I wanted to talk about that I love is a company called Never Summer. And they primarily make snowboards and apparel for snowboarders. And I'm not a snowboarder, I'm a skier, but I still think that this is such a fun trademark. And when I am out skiing in the winter, sometimes I think I want, I want winter to last forever. I don't, I don't want any summer, never summer, right? So I think that this is actually a really cool trademark. Then, and, but allegedly, they, they started out with a different name, Swift Snowboard. Swift, mm, don't love it. It's a little weak. It's a little descriptive. But they ultimately did kind of did this rebrand and started calling it Never Summer Snowboards. And they're based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And allegedly renamed it after the Never Summer, Summer Mountains in Colorado. So I think that there's kind of a double meaning there. And I think that that's really special. I love what they've, what they've done with this trademark. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about another brand name that I think is a lot of fun. And again, it's a, it's a snow or you know outdoor activity related brand. It's called Shred. A lot of times you will hear skiers, especially the, young, the younger ones. I'm not really in that category, unfortunately. But I say it kind of jokingly, like let's shred the gnar or that pal won't shred itself. And shred means to ski or snowboard with exceptional speed, ability, or enthusiasm, especially in difficult training conditions. So 
my my partner and I sometimes will be like, let's shred or this pal won't shred itself and like then we'll end up crashing. So, I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's all kind of in good fun. But there is a brand of helmets and other ski gear out there called Shred, Shred brand. And I like their naming. So one thing to think about when you're going through the trademark creation process is for your particular goods and services, you might want to think about, is there any lingo or jargon in the industry that you can maybe use? Be careful. You, I think you have to be careful. Like if it's overused, you might be hurting yourself. But I think at the end of the day, I think Shred has done a really good job with this, with their trademark. So the three trailblazing trademarks today are Shred, Arcteryx and Never Summer. So if I ever get into snowboarding, I'd really love to take a lesson. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I am going to have to look into the Never Summer gear and apparel. I think that they're, they're just doing some really cool stuff. So I want to talk about a couple of trademark fails. <laughs> and both of these fails are for similar reasons. And the reason I want to talk about these fails is I like people like if they make a mistake, I think it's really important that we learn from those mistakes. It's so important to learn from mistakes and to learn from other people's mistakes. So one of the trademarks that is a big mistake <laughs> is the mark question of the day. And the applicant tried to get this trademark registered with the USPTO and they do trivia email services. And the USPTO said that the question of the day, it was not registrable because it fails to function as a trademark. And I see that a lot in the private label industry where people select marks that fail to function. They don't act actually as source indicators for trademarks. And this was an interesting argument that the applicant made. They submitted a image from the website which had the words question of the day in front of a pink banner and the question of the day was which is the smallest country in the world so hold tight and i'll give you that answer but that was their specimen and they said that that because that display emphasizes the term question of the day in a pink banner, consumers obviously know that the trivia email services are from the same single source. And <laughs> I think it's kind of funny because the examining attorney kind of flipped that on its head and said, well, yeah, she said this, this is attorney Lauren Burke with the USPTO. She maintained that the phrase question of the day is used to convey information to consumers that a question is being presented, but it does not convey any information about the entity providing the question, which goes to that source indicating functionality of a trademark that must exist for registration. And not surprisingly, the board, the Trademark Trial and Appeals, Appeals Board, I, I sometimes call it the TTAB or the TTAB, they agreed with the examining attorney as they do most of the time and they observed in particular the positioning of the proposed mark in the specimen and stated that the phrase's position immediately above the daily trivia question to which it alludes 
and the multiple choice answers appearing immediately under the trivia question reinforces the perception that its function is informational and not source indicating. So I found that really interesting and <laughs> because I'm a trademark nerd, but just keep in mind that be very careful with commonly used phrases if you want to use that as a, as a trademark or source indicator. And I mentioned that a minute ago, I mentioned shred and I said, okay, well look to see if there's anything that's in the lingo or the jargon of the particular industry that you're in. And it may function as a trademark in this situation. It did not because it's a commonly used phrase by a lot of third parties merely for the purpose of imparting information. And it makes it less likely that the consuming public will perceive it as identifying a single commercial source and less likely that it's going to be recognized by consumers as a trademark. So that's really important language there. So please keep that in mind. So do you want to know the answer to what is the smallest country in the world? It's Vatican City. FYI, I learned something from, from the question of the day. Another uh, trademark application that got refused for the same reason is the term scoop for frozen confections and ice cream promoted and distributed by a mascot named Scoop. And I, I think that this is really interesting. They, the USPTO found that the term is merely descriptive, fails to function, lacks acquired distinctiveness, and is therefore not a source indicator for this particular service. And they would not permit registration of this trademark. So this, again, this is another situation where you have a term that fails to function as a trademark and the USPTO or the Trademark Trial and Appeals Board once again sided with the examining attorney at the USPTO. I think that these are two really good lessons to be learned. I feel like I get a lot of people that come seeking registration for marks that at the end of the day just fail to function as trademarks. So keep that in mind. Now, I have a couple of questions that I want to answer. So one of the questions that I got before today was, I'm not a U.S. citizen, but I've already filed my trademark application without a U.S. attorney. Am I, am I going to have to get a U.S. attorney? So I talked about this last week that the USPTO will be requiring foreign-based applicants to hire registered U.S. attorneys to prosecute their trademark applications. And this is really a response to this major uptick in a lot of fraudulent trademark applications and cancellation proceedings that were being filed with the USPTO and sort of mucking up the entire USPTO registry. And so now these entities have to get U U.S. attorneys. I think that this has been a long time coming, to be honest. I've, it's crazy to me that it hasn't been required before, but it does mirror similar requirements in other countries such as Japan and China and the entire European Union member countries. So if you're wanting to file in any of those foreign jurisdictions, you will need to hire an attorney and that's how it's been. So the answer to this question is yes, even if you, this, the rule actually starts to take effect on August the 3rd, but it will apply retroactively to pending applications filed with the USPTO prior to August the 3rd and non-U.S. applicants with pending applications who have not retained U.S. counsel 
will be informed via an office action with the USPTO that an appointment of a U.S. attorney will be required. And at that point, these foreign applicants will have six months to respond to that office action and retain U.S. counsel. I sort of love this (laughs) because that means that if these third parties don't retain U.S. counsel within that six months, then their applications will go abandoned. And so they have a couple of options, retain a U.S. attorney or their application will go abandoned. And, and I really do hope that this solves that problem of having a lot of just junk on the USPTO record because at the end of the day, people are making a lot of business decisions <laughs> based on what's being filed and when and what's registered with the USPTO. And it's really difficult for brand owners to make smart business decisions if at the you know if at the end of the day there's a lot of junk on the register so i think that's great keep that in mind if you are a foreign based applicant that you will be issued an office action if you've handled this on your own thus far and the uspto will permit you 6 months to retain us counsel another question that i got is susie i am a little bit confused about what the difference is between a brand and a trademark. This is a great question, and I am guilty of using them interchangeably, but they're not the same. I will use brand name and trademark interchangeably, and they are the same. But the term brand and trademark are not the same. So again, brand name and trademark are the same, but the term brand and trademark are not the same. And here's here's the difference. A trademark is that single element or symbol of your brand, and it acts as that source indicator and and serves to identify your products and distinguish them from others. This kind of harkens back to what I mentioned a minute ago about how your the trademark has to be a source indicator it had or otherwise it will fail to function as a trademark and a trademark can be a logo or like a design like the nike swoosh can be the word nike for example if you are at the gym and you see a bag a gym bag with a nike swoosh symbol on it you don't even have to see the word nike and you know that that's a nike brand that's how that logo is kind of a brain tattoo at this point. When you see that iconic swoosh, you know immediately the source of that gym bag. You know it's not an Adidas bag, for example. If you're driving down the interstate and you're like, oh my gosh, I really need a coffee, I'm about to go crazy, and you look over and you see a mermaid logo, you're like, whoa, there's a Starbucks ahead. I'm, I really need to stop there. You, Or maybe you're like, Ugh, I hate Starbucks. I'm going to avoid that place. You know if you need to get that caffeine fix, you're, you know where to go if you're into Starbucks. If you don't like it, you know what to avoid. That's because it doesn't matter where you go for your Starbucks. If it's you know LA or Atlanta or Zurich or Mumbai or Moscow, your experience in that Starbucks location is going to be very similar. It's not going to be identical. I mean, there's obviously cultural considerations, but particularly in the U.S., if you're in L.A. or San Francisco, that experience is going to be very similar at every Starbucks. So what am I getting to here? That experience that you have at that Starbucks, that is that brand impression. That is the branding. 
you go into a Starbucks, it's they all look very similar. Their cups are similar. The product placement on the shelves are similar. The menu is similar. That's the branding. The copyright on, on their bags of coffee, it's all very similar. That's the branding. The trademark is the word Starbucks. The trademark is the, the logo, the mermaid symbol. Those are the trademarks. So what is the brand? So the brand is what elicits that emotional feeling or that reaction in the consumer. It's the brand is an umbrella and it encompasses the, the brand name or the trademark, the story and the packaging and the marketing, the look and the feel, the visual imagery, the identity, the image, the personality, the character, culture, essence. That's the brand. So when you see a trademark that's associated with a particular brand that you're already familiar with, you're going to have some types of feelings conjured up within you. So as an example, I want you to take a minute and think about how certain brands make you feel. Virgin Atlantic, if you've ever flown on a Virgin flight, this is a wildly successful airline. It's unique and fun and funky. Value Jet, how does that make you feel? If <laughs> you're as old as I am, you might have a little bit of a gut reaction to that trademark. That is a now defunct airline and it had some systemic safety issues years ago. They had a major airline crash in the 90s and they ultimately changed their name. And the, the, the airline crash was in the Everglades down in Florida. It was a very horrific accident and they ultimately changed their name. But whenever I hear the word value jet, I kind of get this like, I don't know, it just kind of hurts my stomach thinking about it. Mercedes Benz, how does that make you feel when you hear the word Mercedes Benz? Enron, <laughs> if you've been around a long, been around long enough and you hear the word Enron, it might make you feel like, oh, big evil corporation. How does the word Dollar General make you feel? I mean, I'm in Kentucky. We have, we have Dollar Generals around here. I go into them and they're very budget friendly. They're small. They're <laughs> easily accessible, kind of cheapy, crappy stuff. So compare that to Whole Foods. You know, I think whole paycheck. I love Whole Foods. Like, I'm not, I'm going to admit it. I love going into a Whole Foods. It makes me have a certain feeling. I love shopping there. I love spending money there. I love eating from there. So these are just examples of how those trademarks kind of conjure up a feeling within me. And maybe after having gone through some of those examples, hopefully, or, you know, possibly you feel certain things as well. So it's not the same for everyone, but at the end of the day, companies do want that brand experience to be positive, but the underlying message could be different. Budget-friendly, Dollar General, exclusive Mercedes-Benz, hoity-toity, fancy, Ritz-Carlton, right? So that branding itself is intangible. It's the feeling that people get after they've engaged with certain products or marketing efforts. And you always want that feeling to be positive. It can be different, right? But at the end of the day, you want the feelings to be positive. You want people to come back. You want people to come back and experience 
the brand, whether or not they're looking for a budget-friendly brand, right? Most of us, if we've gone into a Dollar General store, it's <laughs> it's probably been a you know positive experience. We need to go in there and get something really quick, and you know they they're they've been around for a while, you know, a decent amount of time. I want to say, I feel like they really kind of exploded around 2008, maybe around the time of the recession. So they're around and they're going to probably be around for a lot longer. There is a set of promises and expectations when you go into a Dollar General. There's a set of, you know, promises and expectations if you go into a Whole Foods. I'm just giving you some different examples of how those different promises and expectations can have an impact on us. Brands promise consistency and quality and, you know, think about also about how if you go into a Disney store, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel happy. <laughs> how, do, how do you feel when you go into a McDonald's or an Ikea or, you know, again, a Starbucks, an Apple store? What about a Walmart? That's one I kind of forget about. And of course, Dollar General. So wherever you go across the world, when you go into any of these places, the experience is going to be pretty similar. I've been in a Walmart in Munich, Germany, and it was very similar to a Walmart in Kentucky. Granted, that experience in a, of a Walmart is very different than the experience of going into a Whole Foods. Back to trademark specifically, remember that trademark, again, I use it interchangeably with brand name, is a single element of your overall branding. And it acts as that source indicator and serves to distinguish one entity's products for another. If it doesn't do those functions, it's not a trademark. Examples, more examples. I love examples. A BMW. If you're driving down the road and you look over and you look at the, the wheels or the rims of a car and you see the blue and white flag, kind of the circle and the flag, you think that's a BMW. That car came from BMW and you probably have some type of feeling or reaction to that vehicle. Another source indicator is the red wax that's poured over a maker's mark bottle. That's actually a registered trademark, which is really cool and just really drives home the fact that trademarks can be a lot of different things. It doesn't, they don't have to be just words or images, they can also be the red wax being poured over a bottle. That's a source indicator that distinguishes Maker's Mark from Woodford Reserve or Four Roses. So just consider that when you're looking at possible elements of your branding that could act as trademarks. Another example would be the Tiffany blue. If you wake up on Christmas morning and you see a blue box with a white ribbon on it, <laughs> you're going to be you're going to go crazy because your significant other got you something from Tiffany's. Like you don't even have to see it's it doesn't even have to say Tiffany on it. You know that that blue box came from Tiffany company and you're you're going to get crazy. So Remember that your trademark presents that immediate impression to people even before they experience your brand. And after they ultimately experience the brand, it's that store of the entire experience people have with your brand. And the trademark itself is a tattoo. It's a brain tattoo. Brands have that emotional connection with their trademarks, good or bad. And I like to consider trademarks sort of that anchor 
or the tether to the overall brand experience. And when people have a great experience with your product, which I'm sure they will, they'll think about your product and the great experience that they had every time they see that trademark. So they'll come back and purchase and purchase and purchase from you again. So that trademark really is the anchor to the overall brand experience. It's that vessel for holding the story of your brand. So I hope that that really helped explain the difference between a the brand and specifically the trademark, which falls under the umbrella of the brand. Now, I do wanna let you know that I have a fun worksheet that you can get, and I'm gonna put a link to it in wherever you're listening to this, and it's the Trademark Trailblazer Quick Start Bundle, and it's really cool because I walk people through some exercises to help them get to think about the differences between a brand name and the overall brand and really help people nail down what those are. So anyway, I hope that this information has been really helpful and I wanna thank you so much for attending Trailblazing Trademarks. And again, if you are a brand owner and you think that you have a Trailblazing Trademark or you want to recommend one please feel free to leave one in the comments or just shoot me an email i would love to consider it it's you can email me at hello at the private label lawyer.com well that's all for today's episode thank you so much for tuning in i hope you love this episode and i really hope you found it of value so if you're ready to learn how you can create your very own trailblazing trademark for your private label business, I have great news. I've developed my very own brand name creation blueprint called the Trademark Trailblazer. If you or anyone you know is about to go down the road of brand name creation, the Trademark Trailblazer is the exclusive blueprint that I use when creating strong brand names from both the legal and marketing perspective for my clients. So make sure you go grab the Trademark Quick Start today, which is the free brand name creation Quick Start Bundle. And that's at trademarkquickstart.com. And remember, no matter what you do, never stop learning. Thanks for listening to Trademarks Made Easy with Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe anywhere you find podcasts or at theprivatelabellawyer.com. Remember, the information provided in the Trademarks Made Easy podcast should not be construed as legal advice. It's for informational and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered a substitute for legal advice. Also, I'm not your attorney. You should engage with an attorney to discuss your specific legal issues. And finally, while I have taken precautions to ensure that the content of my podcast is current and accurate, errors can occur. And thankfully, like us, the laws are ever evolving.